You're a good, good father. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And we are loved by you. Say this with me, church. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Let's try that again. You're a good, good father. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And I'm loved by you. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. We're going to declare that one more time because you need this. You're a good, good father. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And I'm loved by you. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. Come on, church. I don't know who you are, but somebody needed to hear that this morning. Amen. Somebody needed to just be reminded that God is a good, good father. Amen. And we are loved by him. Come on, somebody. Isn't that good? We are loved by him. Learned a valuable lesson this year. I just want to give it to you real quick. It was my lesson, but hopefully you can get it painlessly. Unlike I got mine. But I was always caught up in this thing of doing. And I found my approval in what I did. And I found my identity in what I did. And if I was good at something and somebody said, man, you did a great job, it just, it just really felt good to me. And so my life became that. And I got into a very unhealthy place. And then I'm, I'm sitting in a room one day and I'm praying with somebody and they're asking me questions. And, and, and they asked me a question. They said, why do you feel like you got to do everything right? I said, I, I don't know. So well, what is the Holy Spirit or what is Jesus telling you right now? And man, let me tell you something. God broke me down in that moment. He said to me, he said, I care about you long before I care about what you do. Your identity is found in me and me alone. Long before you do anything, Jamie, I want to take care of you. In other words, he wanted to administer care to me. He's, he's, he's loving me. Are you with me? He's caring for me before he cares for what I do. Right? Isn't it like the enemy to come and say, oh, well, you got to do this and you got to do that and you got to do this. And if you don't do it, then God doesn't love you. What a lie. What a lie. He loves you. He's a good, good father. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And we are loved by him. Say it with me. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Amen. Let's, let's pray for a few folks this morning while we're in this, in this moment. Say, say Joel Belt. Joel's in St. Louis this morning. Um, they're resting. They've been traveling for two days. He's a... Uh, Tomorrow morning starts a very tricky uh, procedure of, of, of two procedures, actually. Tomorrow they have to put a pick line in his arm. And, and, and that doesn't sound like very much, but they have to put him under anesthesia. And with his condition, anesthesia is very risky. So tomorrow morning, Joel goes under anesthesia to put a pick line in. Then they give him Tuesday off. And then Wednesday, they perform the surgery where they're going to bypass the heart from the lungs jump across and they're going to bypass another thing, which is ultimately going to put more oxygen in his brain, take the blood pressure off of his heart drastically. They're trying to slow his heart rate down. He lives at 120 beats a minute. So he's like a marathon runner, never stopping for two years, mind you. They're, they're, they're coming up on two years. He's been, he's been walking with this. So he's got to go under anesthesia for that. It's a six-hour surgery. 
Pastor Josh is, honestly, he's nervous. He's scared. He's a man of God. He's a man of faith. But can I be honest with you? I would be too. <laughs> right? And Lindsay too. And so they left the other two boys at home. So we need to pray for them this morning. And I want you to pray tomorrow morning. When, I, when you get up out the bed this morning, if you remember anything today, when you get up out the bed in the morning, pray for Joel, pray for Josh, pray for Lindsay and Josiah and Judah. Amen. And pray for them doctors and pray for everything. And we're, listen, we're believing God for a miracle. Amen. Because this isn't the cure. This doesn't fix him. This hopefully buys him a little bit better life for a little bit longer. Amen. So say, say uh, Ellis in Spain. Um, he needs some good test results tomorrow. He's having his uh, abdomen um, tested. Um, say Tommy Trim. He's having a test done on his heart and circulation on his legs. And say Lacey Abshire. We'll pray for a safe delivery and healthy baby on Wednesday. So Wednesday's a big day. We've got a lot of people to pray for on Wednesday. Remember that. So extend your hands towards these cards this morning, if you would. Father, we come to you today, Lord. We thank you that you love us. We're loved by you. You care for us, and you're here, and you know every need that we have, from the smallest to the biggest. And so, Lord, we come to you, and we pray for Joel this morning. Father, I pray that he rests in a heavenly rest tonight, Lord. I pray that, Father, you prepare his heart to go through surgery tomorrow. Lord, I ask you to touch his heart tonight. Lord, I ask you to heal his heart and to heal his lungs. We say to the pH, to the pulmonary hypertension, leave and healing come. We say to the congestive heart failure, leave and healing come in the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, we ask you to be with Josh and Lindsay. May your peace and your grace and your wisdom abound in their lives, Lord, through this moment. For the two boys that are at home, I just pray peace and, and, and Lord, just your grace upon that whole family. Grace, 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 Lord. We just pray over the belts this morning. And Father, we pray for for Elson, Lord, for a, just a good report. Father, we just, we just claim his good report this morning. Elson, have a good report. Lord, we pray for Tommy Trim. And Father, he's having tests done. We pray for a good report for him. Lord, we pray for Lacey Abshire. And, and Father, I just pray for all the pregnant ladies in the, in the church today, Father, that, Lord, you would just you would put your grace upon them. And, Father, your mercy would be upon them. And your peace would be upon them. We pray for healthy deliveries, healthy mamas, healthy babies, Lord. This is how one way you multiply your church, Lord. So, Father, we just pray for your health and your protection and your grace over them. And we thank you for this great day. In Jesus' name, can I get a big amen? Amen. amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Worship team, thank you. Can we give it up for the worship team this morning? Come on. Is that good? I've been singing Good, Good Father all week. And I just wish it sounded good. It does in my car, but my truck, but, you know, oh, it just kind of is what it is. So if you've never heard me sing, it's quite the experience. Well, listen, we've got a, a bunch to do today. We've got a lot of stuff to, to cover today. We have a special guest with us today. God wants to do some incredible things in our city and in this world. Amen. So as we get ready to receive tithes and offerings this morning. I just want you to be mindful that God loves a cheerful giver. The Bible means he's actually a hilarious giver. And you've heard me say this before. Sometimes I've looked at my checkbook and bust out laughing just to keep from crying. And to say, God, <laughs> you said be hilarious. I don't know what this emotion is, but it feels hilarious. Come on, guys. And, and, and so it, there's days like that, right? 
Everybody goes through days like that. But God is faithful, amen? He's always faithful. Father, we thank you for this tithe. We thank you for this offering. We thank you for the gift and the giver. Lord, I thank you for the faithful people of our Savior's church. I thank you, Lord, how, how on paper we give more than most other churches in this area. Lord, it's nothing to be proud about, but it's something to look forward to and to be thankful for. And so, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome back to our series, Culture Shift. We're on week five of a six-part series when we've been talking about culture shift and what, and what do we do when the culture around us shifts? It's a good question, right? How do you live godly in an ungodly culture? How many of you, I mean, you're wise people. How many of you would say that, that you've noticed a slip in the culture lately? Just five of you. The rest of you need to start paying attention. I mean, would y'all, y'all like quit TV or something? I mean, what's the deal? No, let's try it again. How many of you have noticed the culture sliding in the last couple of years, especially this year? And we've been talking about how back in the day you used to get credit for being a Christian, and today you get a demerit, right? We used to be looked up to. We used to be honored for being a Christian. Now we get dishonored, Right? What used to be called bad is now called good, and what used to be called good is now called bad. So if you've got a standard in your life, and you've got some morals in your life, they're being tested right now. Right? People are calling you all kinds of names. They're saying things about you. They're saying things about the church. The church has a bad reputation today. And so how do we live godly in a culture that is ungodly? It's a good question, isn't it? Hopefully, we can answer that question today. It's my plan. Part one, week one, we talked about culture's greatest goal. And that was when Daniel was uh, t- taken captive and his city was destroyed. And, and, and the culture had a goal to destroy the holy city. And then in, in week two, we talked about culture's greatest test. We talked about are you worshiping God in the midst of pressure? We talked about how Daniel was tested and in and, and, and what he was going to worship. And then in part three, we talked about culture's greatest sin, where Nebuchadnezzar thought he was the man and became insane because of pride. He, he lived in the pasture. He ate grass from the ground because of his pride. And the same is true for us too, right? Pride comes before the fall. Amen? And then we talked about week four, Culture's greatest culprit and how we spend our time on, on uh, how we spend our time and, and, and how our lives need to be in order and how uh, King Belshazzar was, was out of order. Remember, he saw the hand that came and wrote on the wall and they called for Daniel and Daniel came in and he interpreted it and told the king that. And that very night, 
King Belshazzar was killed and the Medes and the Persians took over the kingdom, which was actually prophesied earlier that that would happen. Right. So Daniel was in the middle of all this. And Daniel remained an influence in the culture that wasn't in his favor. Right. The environment Daniel was in was not a favorable environment for him, but he remained godly and he had great influence. And so today we talk, we're going to talk about culture's greatest need. And what does culture need? And I'm going to go ahead and give you the answer on the front end of the message. Culture's greatest need today, are you ready for this, is you. (laughs) You are culture's greatest need today. What does this world need today? They need you. And I'm I'm going to practicalize this for you. That's my new word. Just get used to it if you're one of these grammar um, police. I'm going to stay arrested. So God intended for you to be the most attractive thing to the world. God intended for you to possess a quality that the world wants. You see, if you, if you read about Jesus and you study the life of Jesus, you notice that people came after Jesus, right? People followed him. In fact, to get a break, Jesus would have to slip away. Right? So is true for us today that we should have this quality about us that there's something inside of us that draws the world to us. Come on. They shouldn't be running from you. (laughs) And you may need to ask yourself this morning, because some of you are thinking about the people at work that run from you every time you come into the break room. You may need to ask yourself, why are they running from me? I'll let you answer that and the Holy Spirit answer that. So go with me to Daniel chapter 6. We're going to talk about culture's greatest need today. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. So the, the, the Medes and the Persians have taken over the, the kingdom, and, and Darius is now king, and, and Daniel still has influence. Daniel actually went through four uh, uh, authority shifts in his lifetime. He went through four of them, and he remained a man of influence and a godly man through all those times. The, the Bible says that and scholars believe that Daniel was about 16 years old when he was taken from Jerusalem and brought to Babylon. And he lived to about 70 or, or, or maybe 90. But he lived his whole life in Babylon. Lost everything. Lost his future. Lost his opportunity to have a wife and kids. He lost everything. But he remained faithful. And we're going to see that this morning. So verse 1, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. That's basically governors with three administrators over them, administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. Now, Daniel was the oddball in this whole situation because he was not a Babylonian. He was not a, a, a Persian or a Mede. He was, he was a Jew, okay? And he was in the midst of all this, but he became an administrator over the 120 governors. He was the oddball in the situation. Anybody ever feel like an oddball? In your situation. That's good. You need to rejoice in that because you're supposed to be. Amen. Verse 2. The satraps were more were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Watch this. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators. That the, and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So the original plan was that Daniel would be one of the three administrators, right, over the 120 governors. 
But, but it was funny because every time Daniel was involved, the king at that time never suffered loss. Never suffered loss. In other words, the kingdom's economy and the the way the kingdom was run never went down when Daniel was involved. It always went up. Come on, somebody. There's a reason why it was found in this verse. Watch this. It says, so Daniel says, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators. Who, who, Who distinguished Daniel? Daniel did. Daniel distinguished himself. In other words, he set himself apart from everybody else. Now, he's the oddball. He's the guy that don't belong, right? But he set himself apart. You know, the only way you can make a difference is if you're actually different. Right? We're called to set the culture, not conform to the culture. Come on, somebody. That's what we're here for. We're supposed to be setting the standard. We're supposed to be different, right? We're supposed to be set apart, not looking like the world, not acting like the world. Come on, somebody. But we need to act like heavenly beings. We need to be people of heaven. And then watch this. In that verse, in that same verse, he distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps. Watch this. By his exceptional qualities. That's the title of our message today, Exceptional Qualities. Daniel possessed exceptional qualities. And if we're to be the most important thing in this world today, if we're the answer for culture, if we're, the, if we're what culture's greatest need is, then we need to have some exceptional qualities. Right? There needs to be something different about us. It needs to be exceptional. And the question you can ask yourself right now is, am I exceptional? Do I possess exceptional qualities? Let me give you some exceptional qualities. You show up to work early. You work hard. You love your neighbors. You cut your grass. You brush your teeth. Come on, that's a ministry for some of you. I mean, wash your car. <laughs> Come on. Exceptional qualities. You need to show up. You need to be involved. Daniel was engaged in what he was doing. He had a heavenly calling, and his mission on earth was to work for every king that came through the kingdom. And so when he, was, when he was brought to that position, which God elevated him every time, he went in and he engaged in what he was doing, and his boss was the main thing. Come on, somebody. He wanted to make sure his boss was being taken care of. His responsibility was to be over all these folks. He did a good job. He worked hard. He had exceptional qualities. Right? You've heard my story. I used to work with some guys that would come in, and they would, they would call themselves Christians. And honestly, they were lazy. That's when I was working for other people. So when I started my own business, I said, you know what? One of my unwritten rules is I ain't hiring no Christians. Suckers can't work. I can't tell me many times I pinned that boy around the corner. I'm like, dude, what the heck are you doing? Looks like it's an embarrassment to the kingdom. I'm like, bro, get your butt to work on time. I don't care. You a Christian. 
You want a God's children to act like one. I'm a little harsh. It didn't change anything. God's hope for culture is you. He doesn't have a plan B. You're the plan. (laughs) Did you hear that? You're the plan. There's no plan B. You're the plan. Say that with me. Say, I am the plan. There's no plan B. You fizzled out on me. There's no plan B. You're his hope for the culture. Amen. We are God's ambassadors, his representatives, the Bible says. We're representing Christ on this planet. When people see you, they need to see Jesus in you. Come on. They don't need to see your opinion. They don't need to see your perspective. They don't need to see your junk. You, you know what I'm saying. They, they need to see Jesus inside of you. Right? They need to be attracted to you because of Christ in you. Verse 3. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. In other words, they tried to find him slipping on the job. Which, by the way, people are watching you. <laughs> as soon as you say, I'm a Christian, as soon as you say you go to church, boom, you got a bullseye on your back. They're watching you. They don't read the Bible, but they're reading you. Amen. So it says, so they, they're, they're, the other satraps, they're looking for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. Watch this. But they were unable to do so. <laughs> they couldn't find him slipping. They couldn't find him taking an extra five minutes for break. They didn't find him taking some extra paper clips because he needed some at home. Are you with me? Come on. He was to work early. He was the last one to leave. He took care of his business. They couldn't find anything. So they, they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Let me tell you something this morning. That is my hope. For us as a church, as our Savior's church, my hope for every one of us is that that will be said about us. Because the world sees the church one way. And it's not a good, healthy way. They think we're the meanest people on the planet. The weirdest people on the planet. The most bullheaded, hardest to get along with. Laziest people on the planet. We need to change how the world sees us. And you do that with exceptional qualities, taking care of your business. The Bible makes it clear that you don't work for your boss. You work for him. Come on. If that don't change the way you wake up tomorrow, nothing will. (laughs) You're working for the big boss man. That's why you get to work early. That's why you're the last one to leave. I never forget being a Christian in the, in the workforce. And, and I, I, I've, I've had some of the worst bosses I think you could ever have. Guys that would cuss me out, do, do things specifically to, to harm me and to try to get me to cuss and try to get me to scream, try to get me. And they didn't know what they was messing with. I'm like, I was like a caged bear. I'm like, thank goodness Jesus got my heart. Because if Jamie still had my heart, it wouldn't have been pretty. I've had them turn the the heater off in a piece of equipment when I was in the middle of winter trying to run a piece of equipment that I had to sit in all day long. Come on, Dale. Turn the heater off in your crane and see how it feels. 
do that stuff on purpose. Watch this now. But there was something inside of me that wouldn't let me come out. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, (laughs) he's powerful, right? And I had exceptional qualities. I still worked hard. I realized and was learning at the time that I'm working for God, not for these chumps, right? And I stayed the course and I worked hard and I had exceptional qualities. And the very same guy that was out to get me dropped his son off at our youth group one Sunday afternoon. He wouldn't even come in. Wouldn't even come in. He, he pulled into the parking lot five minutes late. Kicked his son out of there. You need to go in there. They're going to straighten you up. And, and then he left. <laughs> so finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel. <laughs> they just gave up. So you know what they had to do after that? They had to come against his religion. And so they came against him in prayer. And they went to the king and they said, King, we need you to, to make this decree that nobody prays to any other God except you, this and that. And so that's how they got him. Daniel never stopped praying. He heard the decree from the king, the man that he was working for. And he did the same old thing. He never wavered. He went to his room. He opened up the blinds and he got on his knees and he looked towards Jerusalem, the city that he was raised in. And he prayed three times a day. He never stopped what he was called to do by God. Just because man put out a decree. And so you know how the story goes. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. The next morning, he's safe. The people that tried to set him up get devoured and their family. God wants us to be his ambassador. His plan is to use us to reach a lost world. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Exceptional qualities is one of the ways, right? So I want to shift gears for a minute. And I want to teach you something out of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So now the Lord is the spirit. That word spirit in that verse means power. And where the, the, the power of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so he goes on to say that with unveiled faces, that's who we are. We are his ambassadors, his representation on this planet. We walk with his power and we go into places of captivity and we set the captives free. Come on, you got you got to track with me on this for a minute. That means you that, that's why it's not good for us as Christians to go in and to continue to condemn people for what they're doing wrong and continue to point out every little thing they every little mistake they make. God never called us to clean people, he called us to reach people. Amen. God's going to clean them, you just reach them. Come on somebody. You're the the power of God in your world. You hear me talk about this all the time. Your world is your realm of influence. 
That's your neighborhood, your workplace, your grocery store, uh, the place you get your, your all changed in your car. That's your world. And you, you need to take ownership over that world. And you need to realize that I am God's power in my world. So when I go to the grocery store, when I go to get my all changed, I'm God's demonstration of power. And where the power or the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I'm telling you, when the church one day realizes who we are, when you realize who you are and what's inside of you and who's with you, nothing can stop you. The more we look like Christ, the more the world wants to be with us. The more the world is drawn to us. The more the world wants what you've got. One of the greatest compliments I think you can ever receive as a Christian is when somebody comes up to you and says, man, what's up with you and your wife, man? I mean, dude, y'all like, y'all like happy. Y'all, y'all like each other. I mean, y'all actually laugh together. And y'all still hold hands. And you still open the door for her. And you still pass her one on the behind when she gets through that door. I mean, what's up with y'all, man? Right? It's one of the greatest compliments. And it's one of the greatest opportunities to turn around and say, you know what? It's not me. It's Jesus. It's all Jesus. If it be up to me, we wouldn't even be talking. <laughs> I would be at the deer camp the break shit y'all start laughing and you quit just picking <laughs> we're gonna cast the devil out this morning so let me let me show you something we're gonna, we're gonna jump to revelations real quick i want to show you something about god and then we'll get real practical at the end revelations chapter four i want to show you what god looks like four verse six it says in the center around the throne were four living creatures They were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. It was one creature basically with four heads. One looked like a lion. One looked like a man. One looked like an eagle. And one looked like an ox. And and, and scholars believe that this is what God looks like. So in heaven, what he saw, what John the Revelator saw, was that he saw the kingdom of God in the center of of God's kingdom, right there in the center of the throne, was this, this image. And it had four heads, an ox, a lion, a man, and an eagle, right? And so scholars believe that this is what God looks like. Now jump with me to Ezekiel chapter 1. Just hang with me for a minute. I'm going to show you something. Ezekiel chapter 1. This is Ezekiel speaking thousands of years before Revelations was hit. Watch what he says. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being. And on the right side, each had the face of a lion. And on the left side, the face of an ox. And then on the, on the, each also had the face of an eagle. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So Ezekiel saw it long before John the Revelator did in Revelations. 
They saw the exact same image. You see that, right? You see, there's always accuracy in the Bible. Come on. So Ezekiel sees what John sees years later. And it's the exact same image. And Ezekiel says, this is the image of God. Now that seems kind of weird, doesn't it? You never imagined God with four heads. Probably seen a few demons with four heads, but you never imagined God with four heads. Let me show you something. I want to show you. If, if, that's, if that's what Ezekiel and John both say that the image of God looks like, and we're called to be his representation on this planet, then wouldn't it be wise to look like what God looks like? Right? I mean, wouldn't it be good to know what God looks like so we'd have an example of what to look like ourselves? Right? To know how God acts so we can act the same way. Right? So let me break this down for you. The first one is this. It was the ox. So the ox represents the face of a servant. So one of the images of God was an ox. So an ox represents a servant. Oxes were used, or ox in. I'm going to get right. I did come from Franklin, Louisiana. Oxen were used to carry things, to pull things. And get this, they were even used for sacrificial offerings for sin. An ox is is the image of a servant, which then says that God's image is of a servant. Amen? So our image, one of the images we give off, should be the image of a servant. Come on, somebody. The image of a servant. The reason we do outreaches at this church, the reason we've been reaching out to middle school, central middle, And the reason we're going to reach out to some other schools and we've been doing some things in the city is because we want to serve folks so that we get an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. Come on. We want to serve them first, let them see who God is inside of us, and then bring it across with the gospel. Right? The world's seen too many people standing on soapboxes saying, if you don't repent, you're going to hell. Where's that going to get you? That's how the world thinks we are. We're called to be a servant. To serve folks. 1 Corinthians 9.19 says this. Paul speaking. He says, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. He's basically saying, I'm not a slave. I've been set free, but I make myself a servant to everyone so that as many as can be reached will be reached. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. You see, you're starting to see the heartbeat of God. You're starting to see the image that God's not worried about being served. He's worried about us serving and so that we can bring the gospel across and see people saved. I love that verse. I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give, listen to this, to give my life as a ransom for many. I believe the only reason God hadn't, Jesus hadn't come back yet is because of God's grace. God wants as many to be saved as possible. We're going to learn about that next week. Next week, we're going to talk about the end times. And what it all looks like. 
So the ox represents the face of a servant. The second image is the image of a man. And that, that represents the face of love. Too many times people want to get into biblical or doctrinal debates as if to say you're going to win something with somebody, right? You ever have people want to come and have a doctrinal fight with you and they want to argue scriptures with you? The Bible even says it doesn't even make sense to do that. Because, I mean, you're hoping that they're going to go, okay, you're right. It's not going to happen. (laughs) They're just going to, well, we just agree to disagree. And so the world doesn't want to, they don't care about what you know. The world wants to know that you care. Right? They could care less what you know. They want to know that you care. I had a guy I was, when I was back in Franklin, he was, he was a, a, a young guy and he was, he had a hard life, came up very hard. He was very poor, very uneducated. And he just had a hard time in life. People took advantage of him. He wasn't, as we say, the brightest bulb in the box, but he was, he just, he had a hard time. He wasn't real smart. He wasn't real sharp. And he came to church one day and he sat in the back because that's probably as far as he thought he could get. And he was condemned and he was beaten and he was broken. And so I greeted him after church and I said, man, where do you live? And come to find he lived right across the street from the church. And I went, wow. I said, man, can we get together sometime? And he was kind of like, yeah. I said, well, look, here's my number. When you got some time, call me. Now, I should have swapped that around. I said, look, give me your number. And I'm going to call you. Because <laughs> he was available <laughs> way more than I was available. So to make a long story short, I went and started spending time with him. And we opened up the scriptures. And I taught him the Bible. And I helped him with his everyday life. He was fighting with his his ex-wife and her, her kid, his, he was losing his kids and all these things. And I was just like, I worked with him and I just spent time with him and I took care of him. And he had his ups and downs. And, and one day he, he, he just went on a rampage, went to a bar, got drunk and got in a fight and somebody broke his jaw. And he calls me at like two in the morning and says, somebody broke my jaw. Can you bring me to the hospital? At two in the morning, that's hard to translate. So I did. I went and I got him and I drove him from Franklin to Homa. And they wouldn't take him at the hospital there, so we went to New Orleans. And I stayed with him until he was taken care of. And I cared for him. And I feel like in that moment, God was proud of me. I feel like in that moment, God was excited because. I reached out to somebody else and I cared for them. You with me? I knew a lot, but it's what you're doing with what you know. Right? Just like he cares for us, he wants us to go and care for other people. So John verse thir- chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus is talking to his disciples and you know Jesus is a funny guy, right? He says this, he says, a new command I give you. This wasn't new. <laughs> this command was preached from the very first chapter of the Bible. But you know, sometimes you got to reintroduce things, right? A new commandment I give you. Love one another. And I was, oh, a new one. <laughs> Woo, we got a new command. 
Glad you're excited about that. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, you don't have to tell people you're a Christian. You don't have to tell them that you believe in Jesus. You don't have to tell them all those things. The Bible says if you'll love them, they'll know that there's something heavenly about you. Come on, somebody. They'll know. They'll tell that there's a difference about you. There's something inside of you. Number three, the eagle represents the face of respect. How many of you have seen a bald eagle in real life? One of the most majestic things you've ever seen before, right? I mean, they're just up there just like cruising, right? It's like, what's up? How y'all doing down there? I mean, they're not like the little birds. I mean, they're just like, it's all good up here. And when I see a bald eagle, I mean, we could be hunting and and, and hunting ducks and and the eagle come. You see an eagle, you go, I mean, ducks are flying by and you're like, The eagle represents respect and awe and wow. One of the faces of God is wow. It's awe. It's respect. There's nothing like when God shows up in your life and he does something and you just sit down. You just kind of, you get one of those moments where you just kind of go. Wow. Like, wow. I, I, I didn't sit on it. I just bumped it. If I'd have sat on it, we'd have had to lay hands on it. <laughs> so one of the faces of God was an eagle, and it represents respect. And the question is, is can people look at your life? Can they look at your marriage? Can they look at your children and go, wow? Man, they got something. Man, what they got. When people are talking behind your back, they need to be trying to figure out what you got. Right? They need to be going, man, what's this? What's up with this dude, man? What's he got? Matthew three Matthew seven thirty seven says that people were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said, talking about Jesus. Matthew chapter five says that you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? You should be making the world around you taste a little better. Amen? Anybody of you, anybody of you ever eat food from Alexandria North? There's no wow factor to the food from Alexandria North. Those people aren't Cajun. They just forgot how to cook. Right? So when you go there, you either got to have your little pocket pack of uh, Tony Sashbury's or Slap Your Mama, and you got to put a little salt on it, Right? To give it what? Flavor. To make it taste better. To make it enjoyable. So that you can eat it all. Right? I mean, come on. We're the salt of the earth. We should be making things better around us. It also goes on to say that you're the light of the world. And when you walk into a dark place, it should get brighter. Come on, that's hope for you. The holidays are coming. You're about to go see the rest of your family. For some of you, that's a dark place. You may need to charge your battery before you go. Get prayed up, read up, and everything else before you go see your family so you don't start acting like them again. 
And you come back to church on Sunday and we got to get you delivered and set free again. So we're the salt of the earth. We're the light. God's given us a wow factor to use. The world should be drawn to us. They should be attracted to us. They should want what we got. Amen? Number four is the face of a lion. This is a good one. This represents the face of boldness. Listen to me. You need to serve people. You need to love people. You need to have this wow factor about you. But you need to be bold. You need to be bold. The church was never called to be silent. But we weren't also called to be arrogant and prideful and puffed up and screaming at people. Come on, somebody. We're called to be bold. Proverbs 28.1 says that the righteous are as bold as a lion. I believe God wants us to be bold, not rude. So how do we respond to culture? Grace says we all need a second chance. Truth says the only way I can get a second chance is when I admit I need it. You see, there's this fine balance between grace and truth. Right? Grace is is that I've been given a second chance. The truth is that I need to confess my sins so that he can be faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and pass on that grace. Come on, somebody. It's it's, it's both. They're, they're, They're one and the same. It's not one or the other. You need grace and you need truth. Grace says we're all sinners. Truth says sin is not okay. We need forgiveness. Grace says neither do I condemn you. Truth says go and sin no more. You remember Jesus and the prostitute? He said, I'm not condemning you. That was grace. He said, but go and sin no more. That was the truth. Right? We need a balance of truth and grace. And I believe in Daniel's life, there was a fine balance of truth and grace. And I know in Jesus' life, there was a balance of truth and grace. Watch this in John chapter 1. I'm going to start bringing this to a close. Verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. Watch this, full of grace and truth. Jesus was completely full of grace and he was completely full of truth. He was bold. Bold as a lion. Come on, somebody. We're living in a time where your boldness is going to be tested. We're living in a culture where you got choices to make. When culture comes against you, are you going to run and hide? Are you going to squat down and compromise? Or are you going to engage in love and go headfirst into it with grace and truth? You see, that's what Daniel did. When they said, you've got to bow down when the instruments start playing. Shad, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had it. You've got to bow down when the instruments start playing. And they stood. You know, sometimes you're going to have to just stand. The Bible says to stand, therefore. <laughs> sometimes you've got to stand there so that you can get some understanding of why you're standing there. Right? But you've got to stand. And you've got to stand against this culture. And you've got to engage it in love with grace and truth. Let me leave you with these two things. 
It's grace because we all need a savior. I'm no less a sinner than anybody else. It's grace because we all need a savior. Number two, it's truth because it's the only thing that can set people free. Right? You're the hope of the world. You're God's plan. There's no plan B. Your culture's greatest need. Do you see that today? You need to be a servant. Come on, somebody. You need to serve the folks around. You may need to bring some donuts to work and love on some people. Some of you got some making up to do. Right? You need to be a servant. You need to have boldness. You need to be a person of love. You need to have a wow factor about you. Come on. You know what gets me is when I see people that are saved by grace, set free by the truth, filled with the spirit of God, walking around all the time like, Who was that purple, what was it, the purple guy? No, not Barney. Don't say Barney in church. Eeyore. Woe is me, right? And they're going, he's a donkey. I swear, if I start singing, you love me and I love you, I'm a. Eeyore. He's a donkey. I was corrected. But Eeyore walked around. Woe is me. Woe is me. I don't know what I'm going to do. Let the world look like that. You got the answer. You got the hope. You got everything the world needs living inside of you. Put a smile on your face, pick your chin up, poke your chest out, and love on somebody. Amen? You may need to start at home. You may need to go home, some of you men, and love on your wife. You may need to go home and say, baby, I'm sorry for being a jerk. You don't have to raise your hand. I won't embarrass you this morning. But I saw who you was. A couple of you went. I thought he said he was ending. Let me pray for you. And then I'm going to do something a little different this morning. Father, we thank you for this word. Lord, we thank you for. I thank you for Daniel. I thank you for your word in Revelations and in Ezekiel. I thank you, Lord, that you've not made it a secret that we could never know what you look like, that we could never know how you act. But, Lord, you've revealed it to us. You've given us examples in your word. You gave us Jesus who showed us exactly how to live. Lord, help us to serve the people around us like Paul said, Lord, so that as many as can come can come, Lord. I want to reach as many as I can, so I'm going to serve people. And, Lord, help us to love those around us. I pray that love just flows out of us, Lord. I pray that we learn how to receive your love and get filled with your love and then turn around and just spill your love upon the world around us, Father. And, Lord, help us to to live our lives with a wow factor, that people are drawn to you inside of us. They're drawn to you inside of us, Lord. Your word says that, so let your light shine before men that they would see your good deeds And glorify your Father in heaven. Lord, you want people to see our good deeds so that they'll glorify you in heaven. And Lord, help us to be bold. Help us to stand on the truth and to walk in grace and to extend grace and truth 
to the world around us, Lord. Grace because everybody needs a second chance and truth because everybody needs to be set free. So, Father, thank you for today. We love you and we bless you and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Can you give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Just hang tight for a couple more minutes. I've got a special guest with us today. Uh, Ken Aguilard is here. from the. Uh, he's with the Gideons. Ken's a local man, man of God that, that loves God, loves people. He's a businessman here in town, and, and he asked if he could come and take about 10, 15 minutes of our time and, and share with us what God is doing through the Gideons and, and give us an opportunity to give. So we're going to take up another offering after Ken is finished. And, and it's going to be for Gideons. And so if you, if you fill out an offering, you need to just put in the memo Gideons, and we'll separate that, and that will go directly to them. We won't touch any of it. So if you would give it up for Ken Aguilar this morning. Come on, Ken. Germany, one from Switzerland, South Africa, the UK, most from the US, but we didn't know each other. 
But the Kenyan Gideons ask us, you must have known each other a long time because of the interaction you had with each other, but it was spiritual. And it was interesting how God collected that group of 22 men and how unusual it was that they bonded so quickly because it was all spiritual. We all had different spiritual gifts and we all had different talents, but when you put us together, it was a remarkable thing. Go ahead. This is one of the schools we went to. We went to 1,583 schools. Not one single school said you can't come in because you're Christians. Come on. In fact, when we got there, most of them, the vast majority, did not know we were coming. We introduced ourselves to many of the folks. They had never seen anybody white, at least in person. The children had, for sure. Mazungu was the name they would, they would point in Mazungu, Mazungu. And often you'd feel something on the back of your hands when you were standing there distributing scriptures, and it was just almost like a, a, a moth wing. And the children would walk by and they'd touch you because they wanted to see what you felt like. And one time, uh, they want to touch your hair and <clears throat> just to hear you speak. Their English is impeccable. It's much better than ours. And I, I'm not saying that to be a joke. It's true. They learned, Kenya was an English colony for a long time, and they learned English correctly. And so when you, they speak, it has a thick African accent, but you can understand it. Go ahead. I, this is not really anything other than just for you to know what kind of country we were in. That lady is carrying a 55-gallon drum. It's empty on her head. The second to last day, and I'm, I'm going to jump ahead to something. We spent two weeks there. There were a total of right at 589,000 scriptures given out to school children. There were a total of 631,000 scriptures given out overall, some in hospitals, some to the military, firemen, police. <coughs> Gideon's go in the traffic lanes of life. We find people where they are. In March next year, we're having a blitz in the Lafayette metropolitan area. We're going to go into hotels, motels, hospitals, as many schools as we can. We don't get to schools in the U.S. anymore, hardly ever. Kenyans could not understand that. What they couldn't understand is how can a country so prosperous with so many wise people not understand that putting a copy of God's word in the hand of a school child is going to make them a better person, a better citizen, not to mention it gives them the truth about who God is. The second to last day, we were distributing scriptures. We were told in the morning, and we gather early in the morning praying, and we meet with our Kenyan counterparts. This is going to be a bad day, but we're going to not bad in the sense that it wouldn't be uh, good. It would be difficult because the organization that day was very lacking. We were going into an area where one of the Gideon camps, and Gideons are organized in what are called camps, like Gideon, the Old Testament figure. This, I'm a member of the Eunice Gideon camp. They're all over the place. And we meet every Sunday morning, by the way, brother, and pray for you and your church Come on. by name. That's good. Every Sunday. Amen. We don't take off on Christmas or any other days like that. And we go in the prison here, the jail in Eunice, every Sunday morning and give out New Testaments and tell the inmates who Jesus is, not who he was. And every Monday night we go in the prison in Basile with Spanish New Testaments mostly because most of those guys are Spanish, but sometimes we run into other nationalities. They're illegal. And so we tell them who Jesus is. So far this year about 257 have been saved. Come on, come on, that's and good. And about 1,100 New Testaments distributed. We get to the first school. And the principal says, well, we've sent the children, the representatives from each class, to this other school. And my Kenyan counterpart, who is a professor and a physical therapist about to get his Ph.D. from Cal Berkeley, 
He was livid. You weren't supposed to do that. Why did you say you told me never to inherit? So I got him by the arm and I said, look, lawyers are used to dealing with chaos. Let me handle this. You're a professor, so you stand over here. And we went to the school where the children had been sent, and there were groups of children sitting under trees waiting for us to get there to give them Bibles. And there were just five or six from each class. Well, that's not how we were supposed to do that. So already I looked at that and I thought, this is not good. Mm -hmm. There was a room with a ceiling about 15, 20 feet high with hundreds of boxes of Bibles and a hundred Bibles in each box stacked up. And I thought, how are we going to get these back to these schools within a car? The children had come and each group were chaperoned by teachers from their schools. And Osborne, the guy with me, he was, by now, he was not having a meltdown. And I said, look, God's going to fix this. I don't know how, but we might have to just shuttle these all day long. I don't know how many we'll get to. Well, the teacher said, no, we don't want to leave without the Bibles. I said, okay, so how are we going to accomplish this? Because they don't have school buses. These children had walked from their schools to this one. She said, well, we know how many students, and we had a list of how many students were in each school. So they took those boxes put them on their heads, mm -hmm. and walked back to their schools and waited for us to come during the day to give them their Bibles. Come on. When we got finished, every day when we'd get through, we'd meet at the hotel we were staying at, and we went to two different, three different cities, Nairobi, Kisumu, which is on Lake Victoria, and Eldoret. We split up the last week. And we would gather and we would give a report of the work of the Holy Spirit through us. This is not something we did. Mm -hmm. And we would say, here's how many scriptures we did at these different places, and we added them up because we're accountable to God first, but to you second, because all the money you give, 100% of it, goes to buy these Bibles, these New Testaments and scriptures like we're going to put in hotels. This is the, version, the one we give to the United States Marine Corps. We have one for each branch of the military. We added them up, and up to that point, we would have about thirty to 35000 a day that we were getting out. On the day that we were most confused, that things went the worst, that our efforts were rendered nugatory, word for word, negative, well, not negative, but were ineffective. We had a distribution of 20,000 more than we had done on any other day. Hmm. And what we saw was two things. God was reminding us, although this group of all people, I can tell you, did not need to be reminded of that, but he wanted to make a point, I'm sovereign. This is my work, and I am allowing you as a blessing I bestow on the obedient and the faithful to have a part in what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Instead of us saying, God, we're going to go over here and do this great thing for you. We want you to bless it so you'll be happy, and look what we did. Mm -hmm. He didn't do that. Yeah. He said, you want to go to Africa? I got a phone call in the middle. Of, I was driving to work. When, well, actually, when that call came, I was sitting at my desk full of people in my room. I looked at this phone number. I recognized where it came from. Out of the blue, do you want to go to Kenya for two weeks? When we go somewhere as Gideons, we pay our own way. We don't use the money that you donate. And he showed us also, I want to affirm and reaffirm that what you're doing, I love that. And I'm going to give you a gift to show you how much more got done even though you weren't able to do it. That's good. And it was stunning that that happened. Go ahead. These two... Remember this picture. This little, there's a little girl on the right, little boy on the left. The little girls, they all keep their hair, and even in high school, they, they cut their hair really short. It's not often you see uh, a woman 
with her hair kind of long. Now, you see some adult ladies like that, but the youth are usually uh, not like that. That's the only gift that these children had ever gotten. And that's probably the only Bible that they'll ever see, maybe. They might get another. A lot of Christians in Kenya. When we were, you were saying something a while ago, Jamie, about uh, God is good and the wow factor. This is what we'd hear every single school. God is good, they would respond. All the time. And I would say all the time, God is good. That is his nature. Wow. wow. And some of them would say, that is his nature. And for that, he deserves a high five. And the, the principals would get the kids. I get excited about this. They'd go and ring a bell, right? Usually a handbell. Get them out, line them up, and say, we have some men here. They have the word of God. They're going to give it to you, and you must read it. It's the most important thing you will ever get. And then they point to you for to say something. <laughs> so what would we tell them? This is what we would tell them. We came over here to tell you God loves you. That's good. He loves you so much that he wants to destroy what separates you from having a relationship with him. Not a religion. Wow. Not how to make God happy. He wants to have you as his own child. Not That's just right. his own creation, but his child. And like Peter said, Lord, save me. When he was drowning. In that prayer, Peter said it all. I'm desperate. I messed up. It's my problem. I caused this. I'm going into eternity. I can't do anything to fix this. I don't have time to get into theology or doctrine or anything else. I'm dying. Mm -hmm. And you are the only one who can save me. You, God, in the flesh, you, this Jesus that I have confessed, you're it. And I am completely dependent on you. And without you, I'm going to enter eternity. And I have no idea what that looks like. And we would tell him that. And if you want to enter into God's relationship that he made you to have with him, not how you are now, but he will put his Holy Spirit in you and change you. It's called being born again. Raise your hand. Don't raise your hand because your neighbor did, and don't put your hand down because you're ashamed. You know how many we can verify? This is stunning. I'm not telling you this to make a point. I'm telling you because it's a fact. 63,183. Now, I calculated a typical evangelical church that's been around a while, let's say 100 years. And there are a lot of them like that, especially in the South and on the East Coast. 52 weeks in a year, let's say 10 people a week got saved which most of them won't have that, anywhere near that. Some you'll have no more, but most weeks it won't be anybody. That's less than 60,000. God saved 63,000 people in 10 days. Come on. That's good. What's the next one? This little boy, as soon as he got it, he walked off in the shade and started reading it. I just wanted to you all to see that because he did. The Bible says in Isaiah, just as the rain... My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways and my thoughts above yours. And just as the rain and snow descend from heaven and water the earth and do not return there without first having been seed to the sower, bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing the purpose for which I sent it. That's good. Go ahead. This is just a group of children that were happy. We saw this a lot. They'd get their little New Testaments and then we'd get ready to leave and they'd wave them at us. Go ahead. <coughs> That's a classroom. Wow. Fairly typical. Some were better, but most were about this. Some were, well, we didn't see too many worse than that. Go ahead. That's the front. That's the door of 
take class and you once wanted to steal. See all those rocks? Their school ground was littered with that. Go ahead. Um, this lady is the school cook. You see that big black pot in the corner? That's Come on. whatever she's cooking. Probably maize. It looks like corn. Go ahead. Um, this is another picture of her with her daughter. Um, the little, little kid. Can you see how the kid's expression on her face? She had never seen a white person. Can <laughs> tell? But then when I spoke, it was almost like Annie talks. <laughs> but she was cooking there. Go ahead. That's the firewood the children gather to, for them to cook the meal that they get. And they eat with their hands. Not sanitary. They don't have any running water. The toilets are a concrete slab with a hole with a little shack around it. There's no electricity. Um, but a lot of them don't have shoes. And they wear their clothes till they're worn out. I know that's shocking to us, but you don't see kids changing stuff like over there. When a lot of kids had clothing that had holes in it, and their shoes were tied together with those that had them. Now, some schools were, were more upscale that would look sort of like the ones we have here, those that were funded by a church or something. But uh, a lot of them didn't have that. Go ahead. They wear them to, they run. Uh, we, we had to carry some bottles up this road because we couldn't drive. That was just one of the places we, we went. And the point of all this, go ahead, point of all this is we go in places where you can't go as a church or the church doesn't. And the truth is, we go to places the church won't go. That's good. And we have to. These are two beautiful children. And you see, these are Bibles that were, are, were in their home. They have, their family has all of these Bibles. Now think back about those two kids I showed you earlier that were holding their little New Testaments up. Look at the contrast. These are exceptionally beautiful kids because they're my grandchildren. Um, <laughs> go ahead. I took a picture in a church I was in. These are, on the right, those white books you see are, new, are Bible and New Testaments in paperback that were purchased by that church for some outreach effort, and they just didn't use them. The rest of the, those Bibles, and they're different kinds of Bibles, are Bibles that people brought to church and left. And they have never gone back and gotten it. Wow. But right now, and I gave this to Jamie for y'all to pray about, this is a list of countries that have ordered scriptures for distribution for which we cannot place the orders because we don't have enough money. 10,545,798 scriptures need to be sent, and we don't have the money to do it. Now, we're out there doing this. Last year, it was about 82 million we got out. We're not about Bibles. We do honor, obviously, we're called men of the book, men of a separated walk, and we do things that are culture of excellence. We're about Jesus the Christ, the Son of the Most High God. El Hijo de Letizimos Dios y Salvador del Mundo. That's Spanish for Jesus the Christ, the Son of the Most High God, Savior of the world. We went to Chile. I got to go to Chile a few years ago. Same kind of drill. I can't get into it because we don't have time and we're not really here for that. But we have no understanding of the depth and the breadth of what we have in this country and how God has blessed us. That's right. These folks were so hungry. And when we would tell these children, here is who Jesus is, and they, they never even heard of him. A lot of them, they, you'd start, this happened more than once. I started talking to some of these groups. And the other Gideons, we all went out in different places. You can, I, I didn't go to 1500 schools, obviously. And I would say, you know, for God so loved the world, and I'd look around, and all of a sudden, Half of them would start saying it with me. Wow. How many schools would you have to go through in this country to find 10 who could say John 3.16? Jamie made a, a comment about 
you're our ambassadors, we're ambassadors for Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Ambassadors are a person who represents this country in another country. That's what we are. We as Gideons, we're an extended arm of the church. We don't exist without you. If you're going to join the Gideon, you have to be a member of a in good standing, an evangelical, a Protestant congregation or fellowship, and your pastor has to okay you. That's, how you, that's one way you get in. We ask for your help. Your money's important. I'm not going to minimize that. I've already told you about that. But what's critically important is your prayers. When someone passes away, and I'm not suggesting that you don't do the flower thing. I'm going to leave that to you and give prayerful consideration. But if you make a donation to us, we send a card, or you can have it. You can send this card. I'm going to give this in James for you if they want to. And we use that money to buy Bibles in memory of that person. One hotel Bible costs $5. It stays in a hotel an average of six years and is read by 2,300 people. It's a missionary that never gets sick, never gets tired, has answers to everything, <laughs> doesn't need a furlough. It's got all the answers. And when you go through your favorite drive-thru, you say, I'll take a number one combo, biggie size of fries, and they say, thank you, that's 572 pulled up. You have just spent about what it costs to put one Bible in a hotel. Now, I'm not telling you, don't go through the drive-thru. Your cardiologist might. <laughs> uh, that's just to give you a sense of scale. Your investment in that cheeseburger and fries, as opposed to this missionary, the, the logos, the printed word of God. That people, people read. I could give you account after account after account. We got a letter from a doctor in Guatemala. Threw a rock at a dog because it had something in its mouth. It dropped it. He went and picked it up, and it was a New Testament. It smelled like a kitchen. Like food. He found out. He took it home and him and his wife read it and they got saved. And they wrote a letter to us. A lady had it in her kitchen and a dog got in, was in her house. You know, it was in Guatemala. I guess they got letting in and out. I don't know. And because it had been near the stove, it smelled like food. He grabs it and runs away with it. And this man sees something in the dog's mouth and he's curious. So he throws something at the dog to make it. The dog drops it. So he looks and it's Gideon's. Who is that? And so he researches and finds out. And writes us a letter, and he was serious. This is going to sound funny, but he was serious. He said, I will never throw another rock at a dog because it might be another missionary. <laughs> we thank you so much for what you've done for us and the support and to thank your pastor. And I don't say this in every church, and I'm real serious about that. Some of you know me pretty well. So a lot of churches I go to, they, they invite us and they let us come and they're thankful we're there and all that. But it's not very many who actually go. And you know what I mean by that. We're not supposed to be a piece of church furniture. We're supposed to be, Jesus' last command was to go. It wasn't to stay. If you're going to stay, you have to have his permission. And he's not given permission to stay. We make disciples. We don't just convert people. We're supposed to make them disciples. And we get them the exposed to the word and we witness to them. And when they get saved, we want them to come here or whatever church God sends them to through his Holy Spirit. Get them in a church where they're going to grow. But that's not what, what we do. We get them exposed to the word. Thank you so much for your kind attention. We are greatly appreciated. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Guys, if you would come forward, if you guys would, would get ready to just give whatever God's been putting on your heart. Thank you so much for that. And don't go through the drive through Okay. Your pastor said, and if you see me in the drive through just go and hit me in my truck or something. But Ken, thank you so much for that. That was good. Really appreciate that work. And um, so, so as you give, just know that you're, you're sowing seed into good ground, into good soil, 
You're, you're, you're reaching countries that you'll never get to set foot on. And, and one of the things we're going to learn next week, and it's important that you're here next week, we're going to talk about the end times. One of the signs of the end times is that every nation or every ethnic group is going to have a chance to hear the gospel. Okay? And, and so, so Jesus isn't coming back until every ethnic group on the planet has a chance to hear the gospel and give their life to Jesus. Gideon's is helping that. Amen. They're speeding up the process. Come on, somebody. Amen. Amen. So if you're making out a check, make it out to Gideon's International. I should have said that earlier. But would you stand up with me this morning? I just want to bless you before we leave. That's okay. We'll we'll fix it up. Um, just a little, a little announcement before we leave. Uh, we, we're going to be doing a Thanksgiving outreach, uh, the week of Thanksgiving. Um, so, so what that looks like is we've got about six families that we're, we're just going to go specifically to, and, and we're going to fix them up a, a nice Thanksgiving basket. We're going we're gonna to bling them out with all kind of good stuff, everything from the turkey to the dessert. And then we're going to go and we're going to bless the family. I know we've got one family. They've got like, I don't know, 10 or 12 kids or something. They live right back here. We're going to go bless them. And there's some other families. And so if you, if you feel led to give towards that, would you find my wife or Jennifer after service or sometime this week? And if you want to give towards that, we'll take that. And that will go towards purchasing the, um, the baskets for the, for the families. Amen. Uh, remember Wednesday night's prayer meeting at 5:30, right here in the church. Lasts for 30 minutes. We come in. We have specific things to pray for. We pray and then we get out, and and just so just continue to pray. Like I said this week for the Belt family, Amen. Just pray for them tomorrow morning, and Wednesdays critical days. All right. So let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Gideon's Lord. Thank you for their mission and their vision and their heart and and for them answering the call to go. And so, Father, thank you. And I pray you bless that ministry. You bless it, Lord. I pray the provision comes. I call the provision from the north, the south, the east, and the west to come and to reach the planet with the gospel, Lord. And so, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for these good-looking people you've put in this church. May we walk in your word and may we walk in your way this week. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can you give somebody a hug or a high five? Tell me it was good to see them. Music, music.